so welcome to episode 48 of Consensus Unreality. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a guest, and today we are joined by uh, Bram Stoker award-winning author Nicole Cushing, um, the author of such works as uh, A Sick Gray Laugh, Mr. Suicide, and the upcoming uh, Moth Woman. And I had sort of separately from the realm of the consensus on reality stuff, just as like a fan of like weird fiction and horror and stuff had been uh, familiar with uh, Nicole's work and really enjoyed it. And then I saw that she had been posting about like the, the shaver mythos and stuff like that on Twitter. So I was like, that's kind of a cool connection. And so I thought that could be a cool kind of angle because uh, we've never actually interviewed a writer of fiction before really at least not a person primarily uh known for that so that's interesting um so thanks for coming uh nicole how's it going oh it's wonderful and great to be here and nice to meet you gentlemen yeah, yeah thanks so much for coming on you're welcome uh, i thought a uh, interesting way to start talking about this would be like do you see i mean so in, in your writing there is obviously a sort of supernatural like what you know whatever that word might be there's this sort of extra normal forces that you know come into play uh often with pretty uh gory um results is that do you have you been interested in sort of like the supernatural in addition to your sort of horror background or how do you feel about that um well for a long time, I would have told you that I was an atheist, and I, I was an atheist. I, um, I uh, probably throughout my writing career, as I wrote Mr. Suicide, as I wrote Sick Ray Last, I, I was an atheist, and I didn't really make any connection between the paranormal uh, as a, a subculture or as a set of experiences that people had and what I was doing as a writer of fiction. Uh, and I was looking at it purely as an artistic endeavor. I still really do look at it primarily as an artistic endeavor. Uh, and I don't uh, necessarily focus too much on the paranormal. But uh, at that point, I was... Um, well, actually, let me pause and, and re-clarify there, or rather clarify. I. Um, I won't say that I don't focus on the paranormal, but I'm first and foremost a novelist, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm first and foremost a creator. But I, my, certainly my mind has been opened to paranormal topics in recent years. So up until about, you know, the, I would say 2018 or 2019, I was a stone cold skeptic. Uh, I would have been in the debunker camp, you know, I was uh, a big fan of, you know, um, the amazing Randy, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, purely 100% in that camp. And there's a long tradition of horror writers who write works of uh, very feverish imagination uh, as far as fiction goes, but uh, have... Uh, a very strict skeptical side. Uh, mm. you know, first and foremost, H.P. Lovecraft comes to mind. He was a very uh, ardent atheist uh, back when, it, in a time when it was very difficult to be an ardent atheist. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but at the same time, these you know, kind of fever dream um, works of fiction. So um, that became just uh, you know some very uh, highly emotional, uh, nightmarish sorts of stories. So um, there's a tradition of that, but I, yeah, I, I would say um, in 2018, uh, actually on my wedding anniversary, with my 11th wedding anniversary, I went to a um, state park. My husband and I often go to state parks for our uh, wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And there was a um, waterfall there. And I was involved in just doing you know, secular mindfulness meditation. Uh, that was, you know, always a part of my kind of secular spirituality. And uh, during that uh, meditation, I had a very strong spiritual experience uh, that I cannot explain. And uh, and so my mind became open. Uh, my husband was there with me at, at the same time. He did not have that kind of experience. He remains a very uh, ardent skeptic and atheist, which is probably good because... <laughs> helps me stay tethered to the ground sometimes but since that time I it really led me to question my uh my beliefs and then in um May of 2020 uh the door to the paranormal swung open even further Mm. when I made a a pretty unexpected visit to Point Pleasant West Virginia Mm. Uh um yeah so yeah I guess the the book that's coming out this year is uh Moth Woman so is that kind of is it, I mean, because I was a sick gray laugh, your last like full length thing that came out? Yeah, the, that was my last novel in 2019. Yeah. So is, it, is this one similarly kind of uh, playing with that like metafictional kind of thing? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, yeah. It's, uh, for example, um, okay, so May of 2020, uh, it's the early part of the pandemic, and mm-hmm. uh, I was laid off from my job as a bookseller, and I, I get a call from my mom. Uh, that, uh, you know, there is a family emergency and can I make the road trip from where I live in Indiana to uh, my birthplace in Maryland Mm. to help out with this emergency. Mm. And so uh, I decided I did, I would. um, And this was at the time when people were discouraging travel and everything. So, you know, it was really um, a bit risky to do so, but I went ahead and did so and, uh, you know, took care of some things that, that needed to be taken care of and what tried to be helpful to my family and uh, was there for over a week. And um, and then, uh, you know, it was interesting, the night before I was about ready to head back to uh, Indiana, I really, you know, didn't have any like hotel booked or anything. Uh, and I, you know, cause I had left really not knowing how long I was going to stay. So I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe what I could do is, uh, you know, take a little swing by Point Pleasant, West mm. Virginia. <laughs> and, uh, because I've never been there. And at that point I was just kind of thinking of it as like this fun, kitschy kind of pop culture place. Right. I, yeah. I had never read the Mothman prophecies. Mm. I had never watched the movie, the Pro- Mothman prophecies. All I knew is that, you know, Mothman was kind of like the, to the air, what Bigfoot was to the forest, Mm, right? (laughs) You know, uh, and, and so, you know, I had never been really into cryptozoology all that much. Um, When I was a kid, there was a local circus that came to town 
claiming to have Bigfoot frozen in ice. Uh, and, um, you know, and I was terrified. I did not want to see Bigfoot frozen in ice. I was, I was scared to death. My, my dad went and, and paid like the quarter or whatever to go see. And of course, I think it was like a monkey suit probably yeah. in, you know, in a, frozen in ice. But, you know, an ice suit in a, in a, in a freezer or something like that. But um, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I was, I I was terrified of it. Um, But I decided, okay, I'm just going to go and, and, you know, I mean, there's, if you want to look at synchronicities and if you want to open yourself up to that whole world, I mean, you could say that synchronicities were at at play, you know, Mm -hmm. there I was the night before I left. Uh, my house in Southern Indiana, I just happened to have this idea of I could stop in Point Pleasant. Um, and so I actually stopped in uh, Gallup Police just across the Ohio River from Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I thought to myself, well, you know, probably the museum's closed because this is like, you know, May of 2020. So like a lot of places yeah. were closed. Retail establishments were closed, but it, it turned out just by chance the museum had reopened a couple of days before. Mm -hmm. So I go over to the uh, museum um, and it was interesting because when I woke up in the morning at my hotel, I had a flat tire. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and so I had to try to inflate the tire, which I did. And I had enough air to go across the bridge into Point Pleasant. So I go over to Point Pleasant and, you know, I kind of have the place to myself because there's, you know, it's the pandemic and it was early in the morning just after they had opened. And uh, and I was expecting to see like just kitschy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw um, what I saw was, you know, the they have a lot of cool things at the Mothman Museum, the world's only Mothman Museum, as <laughs> they state. And uh, one of them is a, uh, they have this testimonials of the people who saw it in like, they they have them mounted to the wall, I think, uh, in their handwriting. And, uh, and so I saw that. And then, um, you know, I asked the guy behind the counter, it's like, well, do you think there's anything to this stuff? And he said, well, you know, the people who have seen it, he, he'd said that he had talked to some of the original eyewitnesses and you know, the folks who had seen it, and they all said that they wish they hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. And that struck me as an unusual answer. And, you know, not just something just kind of, you know, brought up to uh, amuse a tourist. And right. uh, and then I looked at, you know, like, there was all this stuff about the men in black that was there. And then, it, you know, I saw this unusual name, like Indrid Cold, and I had no right. idea. You know, I was like, what what is Indrid Cold? What is this? <laughs> And I think the, you know, what, so that's a one level of, of synchronicity. Another mm. level of synchronicity, I was not going to buy anything when I went there because I was laid off from work. Um, okay. But I saw, you know, a really cool edition of the Mothman Prophecies that had the Frank Frazetta cover. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. And so it was like, you know, I thought, well, that's not something you find every day. And I, you know, I work at it as a bookseller in addition mm-hmm. to being a novelist. And it's like, you know, I know that, you know, that kind of cover might be kind of rare. So let me go ahead and uh, get that. And, uh, and so, and I wasn't really going to read it, but then I opened it up when I got home and I, I started reading it. And then I was just hooked because you have, mm-hmm this story that, you know, you do have this kitschy kind of side to it, but you also have this David Lynch 
kind of side to it. Right. And mm-hmm. then you have this working class kind of side to it. And I've, I, you know, I grew up in a working class family. I live in a working class subdivision or I, yeah. I, I live in a working class subdivision here in Southern Indiana. Uh, you know, I work in a working class job, um, all that kind of thing. And so, you know, and it's a, it's an Ohio river story. Um, and I, I live along the shores of the Ohio river. I uh, mm-hmm. live in Southern Indiana, right on um i cross the ohio river twice a day and i go to work and so in some ways it's like this is really the um set of folklore if you want to look at it that way um that you know was kind of perfect for me it was kind of hand in glove and a lot of my work is um instigated by chance occurrences like a sick Mm -hmm. ray laugh i just happened to run into a book at a used bookstore about u- utopian cults that settled in Indiana in the 19th mm-hmm. century. Wow. And from that, all these other came- things came about. With yeah. Moth Woman, I just happened to take this very unexpected trip to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and just happened to get into the museum and just happened to pick up a copy of the book and just happened to read it. Um, and all, you know, it's basically led on this new adventure that I'm in in my life where I'm uh, openly contemplating ideas that would have deeply embarrassed me to be comp- <laughs> contemplating even a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I guess. Yeah. It's it's so hard to know why these kind of like, like shifts in, I don't know if the word is like, it's not a shift in consciousness so much as like a shift in like willingness to contemplate certain things. Yeah. It's like, it does it like shifts the light on the world kind of. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that those are like, su- like such important moments. Um, yeah. I, I think that's like yeah. a really fascinating anecdote too. And it's, it's perfect because uh, the Mothman prophecies kind of serves as like this apex point of um, <laughs> the, the paranormal subject. Right. Uh where maybe right. it's, it's kind of like where every everything meets right you know you have all these kinds of yeah. normal phenomena kind of coalescing in the mothman story yeah and you, you also have gray barker's book uh the silver bridge which kind of gets into that metafiction playing with the uh the narrative right. of the testimonials as well um but yeah i mean i've done some traveling in on the uh ohio river valley of what you're talking about and it's it's it feels like such an enchanted part of the country, which I think is kind of maybe funny for a lot of people to hear because they look they overlook like the Midwest region, but it feels like a an area super rich in in folklore and even ancient history with the the mound builders cultures and such. Um, do you do you find that that area inspiring your work a lot? Well, yeah, it does, um, and it's interesting because I I you know there's a liminal aspect uh, to it for me because I was born in Maryland. Um, I lived in Maryland until I was about 30 years old and I have spent just about the last 20 years um, here in Southern Indiana and or Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. Um, And, you know, bouncing kind of from one part, from one side of the river to the other. I've been in Southern Indiana now for many years, but I, when I first kind of crash landed here to this area, that's a whole other story, a completely other random way I ended up over here. Mm. Um, That, 
yeah, I, I, I wondered what, like, should I start writing about this area? I really, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm in it, but I'm not really of it. When I, you know, when I talk to people around here, sometimes they'll say like, you, you don't sound like you're, you come from around here. Sure. Uh, and, and so I, on the one hand, you know, I married a guy who was born and raised in Southern Indiana. So, and I'm, you know, I feel deeply connected to this community, but I am to some degree still an outsider uh, or a transplant. Mm. And so as a result, uh, there's that liminal aspect of on the one hand, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I know what it's like to be a Hoosier. On the other hand, um, you know, I have this outside perspective. So it's really interesting because I live and work here in this setting, but I'm not native to it. Uh, but I'm pretty darn attached to it, but I can also see it from the outside. And mm. as a fiction writer, I think that comes in handy quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. And, and yeah. as we, we opened with talking about the Shaver mystery too, Kentucky has the uh, mammoth cave system going throughout like the entire state. Um, the, the serpent mound has that uh, magnetic anomaly supposed to be a, a meteor crash. I'm getting like a little feedback from the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you hear that? Um, yeah, it's funny because uh, Shaver also like was... Yeah, he, he's kind of from out, out that way, right? Like he, uh, so he sort of settled out out that way, but has sort of some roots not so far for from where I'm at in Pennsylvania too. So the, the Shaver thing's kind of an interesting little like circuit happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shaver, I think, I think he was originally from, Penn, he, I think he traveled the rails. He was yeah. all over the place. And I think yeah. eventually he, he, he died when he was living somewhere down South. And I think mm -hmm. for a while he had maybe like a little farm in the Midwest, but yeah, I, yeah. I I've been, um, and this is another kind of serendipitous kind of thing. Um, where I was, um, my husband and I took a little day trip up to a little town called Yellow Springs, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I ran into a couple copies of the original um, uh, Shaver Mysteries, Amazing Stories. Yeah. Uh, and um, episode, uh, issues, rather. I'm going to actually turn on my camera right now so you guys can uh see some of these lovelies mm. here there's one oh, yeah i saw you posted those there yeah so there's another <laughs> yeah, yeah iconic so, yeah yeah they're wonderful and and they're very very strange yeah. um what i uh have taken away from them i i've only done a preliminary study of the shaver mysteries mm. but what i found is that none of the summaries that you hear about it really capture the full weirdness right. of what is on display in the Shaver Mysteries, you know, and, and when you read them, you know, they're not good science. I mean, there's some scientific <laughs> statements that Shaver makes, uh, you know, that are uh, completely off the mark mm. and they're not really good fiction. You know, it's, it's right. not like really well-written fiction or anything yeah. and it's not good science fiction. Uh, it's not neither nor good science nor good fiction nor good science fiction, and yeah. yet it's compelling as hell. Right. Uh, right. And and it's like, what do you call this? I mean, it, it it's uh, it's strangeness on top of strangeness on top of strangeness on top of strangeness, and um, and yeah. so and and it also has a very interesting relationship, you know, in terms of again 
you know, to, to trot out an overused word, you know, liminality. Um, you know, we can play liminality bingo there. Every time you hear a liminality in this <laughs> podcast episode, folks drink, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you, um, you know, when you actually look at it, it's like there's like the, okay, so the first story is called I Remember Lemuria. Mm. And I have a, and it was, that was eventually published as, as its own book. And I have, yeah. uh, I also discovered a, uh, a reprint of that book and the editor of amazing stories was a guy named Ray Palmer. And so you have Mm -hmm. Shaver's story and then you have Ray Palmer's like footnotes and there's like all kinds of footnotes. there, trying to establish like, okay, here's (laughs) what I think he's talking about. And, uh, and you read some of the other stories and you know, there's statements made like, well, this story is completely true or this, this story is completely false, except in its description of the caverns. And uh, it's just very, very strange. And I think, you know, I want to do a little bit more delving into it um, because it it's another, if you think about it, 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 it could be another pole of the mystery. I mean, if you think about Mothman being one topic yeah. around which a lot of things coalesce, uh, certainly with the Shaver mysteries, you have a, that's a whole other poll where a whole other set of things coalesce. And, mm. you know, it's interesting, like you look at what's in those issues and, you know, alien abduction, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the stories that, you know, comes up is a discussion of alien abduction. And then mm. there's a story called the mind rovers, and in that, like the headline or the little tagline beneath the story is this idea of, you know, like, well, you know, this supposedly happened in someone's imagination, but what is the imagination? And, right. <laughs> you know, there's this yeah. whole lot, you know, it, openly admitting that, you know, like, okay, maybe this stuff didn't happen in a, you know, the material world that you and I live in from nine to five, but maybe it happened in some kind of midnight world that we inhabit in the, you know, 3 a.m. to 4, 15 a.m. or something. Hmm. And all of this stuff, I mean, some of this stuff is the kind of thing you hear sometimes in Hellier and other things of like, you know, yeah, this stuff is all in our minds and yeah, that's okay. That's cool. It is all in our minds, but what does that mean? Right. And Hmm. then uh, you think, okay, this is like a really cool, you know, brand new way of interpreting the paranormal. And then you look at amazing stories from the late 1940s. And there's this issue where uh, where the tagline says, what about the world of imagination in your own mind? Is it just fantasy or is there something real in its existence? Hmm. And and so, you know, Palmer and Shaver were perhaps doing trickster kinds of things where they were, you know, kind of putting out a little, you know, uh, show and, and claiming that things were true that weren't true, or they were, um, you know, I mean, or they were presenting things that were true as best as they could tell, but they uh, didn't fully understand them or parts of it were true and parts of it weren't true. And I think that's really interesting. And as a fiction writer, that's how I can, mm. I think, intersect with the paranormal. Um, that mm. uh, fiction writers are tricksters, um, right. and and there's uh, just as there's the tradition in uh, fiction writing of 
atheist horror writers, there's also, you know, kind of like a counter tradition or a counter example, at least, of writers like Philip K. Dick, uh, who were, you know, deeply moved by their own uh, personal spiritual experiences, perhaps induced by uh, abuse of amphetamines in the case of Mr. Dick. But, um, you know, we can't dismiss that possibility. Uh, But he had allegedly actual experiences with the paranormal mm-hmm. and 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 that he kind of built his fiction around that and mm-hmm. i think i i am not sure i've had actual experiences with the paranormal i um i would like to be as objective as possible about that and i think i can say i've had experiences that were paranormal but I don't know whether they were just in my head and if they were just daydreams or Mm -hmm. if there was something more to it. Um, And I think that's where I kind of have to stand and probably where we always will be with this kind of thing is, is this, you know, especially when you, you work, you know, when you write meta meta uh, fiction, right. And uh, meta fictional novels, uh, the line between, you know, fantasy and reality is something that you traipse across and hop across you know, constantly, and and uh, you have a big emotional attachment to, and so you're creating works of art, but they're always tied in some way to reality, and mm. you know, if, if you jump over that line enough times, it's like the junk, jumping over a chalk line in a, in the dust. I mean, if you if you run around it enough, the the line's going to get pretty, you know, uh, blurry. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's like you know, I used to play softball, and that, you know, the chalk line that marked the Mark the uh, foul line would get kind of murky after playing on the field the whole time, and mm-hmm. I think that's my experience as a fiction writer too, and as a spiritual person is that the um, you know and, as somebody who um, has had intense experiences in the midst of meditation and or the creative act um, where mm-hmm. it becomes und- indescribable mm. what where where you stand in terms of whether things are literally true or if it's a daydream and if it is a daydream what does that mean um and that's the whole david lynch idea the paranormal yeah. you know and at the same time i think it it is helpful not to take yourself too seriously mm-hmm. and to um and to just like realize that you don't know everything and that you might just be silly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's that's so yeah that's a lot of material that's awesome i think one thing that i thought of when uh, you're sort of asking like what like what shaver's writings are if they're not this they're not that they're not you know um and then i feel like especially in the way he pairs with uh palmer it's almost like palmer's writing these like exegetical notes <laughs> to, to shaver who is the revelation like shaver is sort of like the prophet in that situation um mm. Yeah. At least, and that's certainly something that I think Palmer was uh, prone to, was like getting hooked by like modern day sort of Bibles or something. Uh, like he got really into that uh, Owaspe Bible. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, so I feel like maybe part of the Shaver mystery was kind of like this weird quasi religious thing. And my like, you know, way out there kind of theory is that like the shaver mystery sort of was this weird kind of 
maybe like a poll, like you were saying, or like some sort of like ritual situation that helped bring about like the modern UFO age or something like that. Mm. Uh, It's fascinating. And, and I don't know. I mean, and at the same time, there was a big commercial aspect to it because Ray Palmer sold a hell of a lot of magazines. That's one of the reasons why you can still find those magazines in second-hand shops is there was a hell of a lot of them printed and a hell of a lot of them sold. Um, you know, and, and so did he have a commercial motive to uh, yeah. promote this as true? Absolutely. Did he sound at the end of his life and some of the lectures I've heard him give like a true believer? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's like a lot of things in the paranormal, the more you investigate the individuals uh, involved, the, it doesn't end up getting you any closer to, <laughs> you know, a resolution. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. Palmer was an intriguing guy. Uh, yeah. Shaver was an intriguing guy. Like, there's lots of people who spend time in mental hospitals, as apparently Shaver did for eight years. Yeah. Um, but not all of them come out and write massive amounts of uh, stories, or or say that they came up with, or say that, that rather that they discovered uh, this, you know, kind of like. Uh, primary alphabet, right? The, the right. This language that that Shaver says that he came across, which is like the the building blocks of all language, and then submit it to amazing stories. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, there's there's so many people who've been in psychiatric hospitals who don't then go on to write all this massive amount of stuff. And then of course, he apparently Shaver had a career in the in the visual arts too. So by mm-hmm. any measure, it's Shaver amazing. Is, yeah, yeah, he's an extraordinary individual. Yeah, I, I mean, his rock art paintings are, like, incredible. And, yeah, I think the, I mean, like, the, as far as I know, from yeah, from looking into it, like, the science fiction fans of the day, like, were buying up that magazine because they hated it so much. Like, the, <laughs> it was so unpopular that it became, it was a kind of, like, like it was uh, in, like, the fan culture. It was, like, kind of reviled. But it kind yeah. of found a second life in the, in the like, paranormal kind of like the flying saucer buffs and stuff right yeah well it was it was it sold very well but it was a different kind of fan so you had the original yeah. school of sci- science fiction where uh it was more about uh you know demonstrating human progress and what progress would would re- result in uh through the application of science principles and yeah. often being meticulous about the application of the science and then you have, you know, something like I remember Lemuria, where, you know, it's just strangeness piled atop top strangeness. Yeah. Uh, and um, and it's not, and not even I mean, there's been lots of strangeness and Lovecraft and weird tales mm. and, uh, you know, Yogg's and, you right. know, and it, it is more strange than even that. Uh, yeah. right. And par- partially because there's there's just, you know, there's no real focus and mm. uh, you know, in Lovecraft, you're you're following one thread, and you're, you're kind of going down one path, where and and that gets kind of stranger and more eldritch and more non-Euclidean uh, yeah. with every every passing mile. But with you know, it's almost as if with the Shaver mysteries and amazing stories, you you ha- are at a constant crossroads. And mm. there's you know, it's not like this little path going that's becoming more and more strange. It's like there's things swinging through vines and there's things coming out of the ground. And then, you know, there's things coming at you in all directions and they all look very strange. And, you know, uh, and the, the science is really awful. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, but, 
yeah, so it's you just never have an opportunity to even follow the narrative because you know there's all the minute you start to kind of get a sense of what's going on, there's a, this other very strange uh, aspect of it that's introduced that requires a whole other explanation of its own. Like any any one mm-hmm. of the characters in the Shaver uh mysteries could have its own novel devoted to it uh and they're all crammed in very mm. oddly and uh and and it makes for laborious reading but at the same time uh intoxicating reading to some degree yeah yeah, yeah and it's it's interesting <laughs> you mention uh you know lovecraft in the, in the case of metafiction as well um you know his inclusion of uh, the Necronomicon, the the fabled text. You know, obviously, uh, for him it was a fiction, but then um, it sort of becomes its own mythology through writers like Peter Lavenda, and then uh, before that Kenneth Grant, who adopted into this sort of like new occult mythology. Um, do you ever think about egregores in your own work? Um, maybe becoming realized in that sort of way for people? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> part of me hopes not, <laughs> because my work is so goddamn dark. Um, but, um, but it's also, I mean, part of what I do is satire, too. And, mm. and so, I mean, there's, you know, it's kind of like slapstick tragedy, uh, right? Where, um, you know, I'll, so I, I don't, I don't think I have, my work has the same tone of reverence that would uh, lead to something like that, unless it was, you know, if people wanted to, you know, long after I'm dead or, or even, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, if people want to be like, you know, create some kind of trickster tome or some kind of like half serious sort of uh, spoof, um, that might be more in the spirit of, of my work. But, uh, and that's not to say that I, I don't have an appreciation for ritual and for taking all of this seriously, but part of my personality, just the way I've always been is to constantly uh, look at the humorous side of things. Usually at like a, a darkly, you know, bitterly kind of grimly uh, gallows humor sort of a perspective mm. on things. Mm. And, uh, and so um my, my rituals are the rituals of the laugh and the wince in mm. <laughs> the, the ritual yeah. of the laughing wince. How about that? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so maybe that would be the kind of, uh, tome that would be, uh, created by true believers in my work. But, mm. um, and I've, I've written about occult rituals before, actually. And my, I had wrote a novella called children of no one that oh, yeah. has one included in it. And so, but at the time I didn't know anything about the occult. And so I had to uh, reach out to somebody who was uh, familiar with it to kind of get a sense of what sort of ritual might work. Um, so, yeah. And, and I don't think that's at the core of my work. Mm. Uh, but, yeah. you know, the thing is most writers end up forgotten. Uh, that's just the, the cold hard facts, especially nowadays. So, yeah. Probably what will happen is uh, my books will end up on a few bookshelves until the people who own them die. And then they'll be brought to a secondhand store. And, uh, you know, if someone might pick them up or might not, and, you know, a lot of them will probably get tossed in the trash. And uh, and then some people might find value in them. Who knows? But 
Um, yep. You know, it's it, it. I think uh, longevity and and you know, let, let alone posterity, is a difficult proposition for can, folks. But it, it kind of helps to know that going into it, that you know, it's like, well, maybe all I have is right now, so I'm just going to be as weird and as uh and, and enjoy the ride while i can yeah yeah e- yeah even s- like with moth woman though um are you curious about the effect of maybe uh entering into like the the mothman mythos yourself it, in terms of like your writing maybe acting as some sort of sigil uh interacting with this larger window area of the phenomena itself or something well i mean i'm I don't know enough about, <laughs> I mean, this is like, I, I guess I'm, I'm the holy fool in a sense, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of walking into this with very little preparation <laughs> and uh, really not sure how, um, how, how that would affect people if that were to happen, if this were a sigil, if this, you know, if, if this was a, you know, I think that, that, even by modest standards, any novel is in a sense a magical working mm-hmm. simply mm-hmm. because I'm taking, you know, symbols on a page and using them to uh, evoke an, a, a, a change of consciousness uh, and to invoke another reality in the reader. So simply, a, you know, a, a very uh, mundane experience with a novel is in fact not mundane, but rather magical. Mm. Um but that having been said, I uh, I really must uh, admit that if, if if something like this does happen, um, if uh, I think my intentions for this have always been good, my intentions have simply been to create art um, and and to perhaps be a part of. I mean. I, I, I never really thought of like, okay, I am joining the Mothman lore. You know, that's, right, right. It's, it's never, I've never really, um, you know, gone into it with that level of aspiration. Uh, what I've wanted to do is, is simply told, tell the story that I felt compelled to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. It's like the, the stories I tell are oftentimes out of my control. Um, and mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've had experiences with automatic writing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not so much with this novel, but uh, other experiences. And, and so it's kind of like, I always say with, with the characters in my books, it's a little bit, the experience I have is what I call dual possession. So it's like, mm. I'm being possessed by the character, the character's being possessed by me mm. and we're kind of working along on this thing and uh, we're on this journey together. Mm. And so um, a lot of it, I, I feel like I'm not necessarily driving the vehicle. Um, and so yeah. that perhaps other, in it, that, the half freaks book, right. That's kind of like, yeah. is it, it's like an illustration of that. Right. Yeah, totally. And so, and so it's like, you know, I feel like I'm not quite at the wheel all the time. And therefore mm. uh, I leave it to others to work out uh, if this will add anything to the mythos or to, or to become a working or a ritual. I just hope, you know, my, my approach as far as any of this goes is to help. um, I mean, my hope, my help, it might rather, my hope is that um, just everyone be kind to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, um, and everyone, you know, just 
take a deep breath and keep their feet on the ground to some degree. And, and you know, I, I like what um, the folks from Hellier have to say. The new Kirks, mm. they always say, like, keep one foot in this world and one foot out, sure. right? Sure. Um, yeah. As a way of kind of keeping tethered. And so that would be my only, you know, investment in it. But I also mm. know that the paranormal is not something that can be easily reined in. And, and so um, yeah. maybe people will, will find it to have some, some greater significance. And as long as the healthy uh, interest and it's something that is safe and as long as they're approaching it in a sense of, um, you know, kind of keeping one foot in, one foot out, then I, I'm all for that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess you kind of have to, I feel like, we we both do that here on this show. We try and keep uh, keep uh, one foot on the safe side, but yeah, well, I mean, yeah, if you go all the way through the mirror, it's pretty spooky on the other side. Yeah, so you want right. to keep a a foot on the other side to get back, right? Right. And part of me thinks that that's why Lovecraft maybe was an atheist. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, mm. Lovecraft's father went insane, right? Right. And yeah. Lovecraft had you know nightmares about being taken. Uh, you know, kidnapped basically out of his bed by creatures he called night gaunts, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who are winged creatures, uh, you know, with kind of leathery wings that would take him away to, you know, I guess other planets. Right. And, and so, you know, I mean, you, if someone was looking at it from uh, the UFO camp, the ufo ufological camp, well, you know, is Lovecraft Craft an experiencer, you know, is Lovecraft a, a, an abductee? Well, and Lovecraft would probably look at that kind of thing and think that's the kind of thing my dad would have thought. Mm -hmm. And so I have to draw this very clear line between yeah. what is pure imagination and what is fact. And uh, and I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, not, not to play armchair psychologist, I I can't imagine. You know, I can't. I'm not going to do H.P. Lovecraft thinking for him or or try to dissect his consciousness. But I think if you're if you had a history of mental illness, I think his mother also mm -hmm, had yeah. mental illness too. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, you and you then you have these nightmares. You have to be very careful and kind of say, okay, I'm not going to go mad like they did. And I have to draw this very clear line and say, like, no dealings with the supernatural. You know, I the, I am a materialist. I don't believe in any of that stuff. And that that's might be a, a coping mechanism for mm -hmm. very traumatizing experiences in uh, the realm of dreams. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, quite, I yeah, think a really interesting way to look at his uh, background and stuff for sure. I wonder. Um... Yeah, the, the sort of like mental illness psychology thing is, I mean, that comes up in your work a lot too. And mm -hmm. and it's also, you know, kind of essential to, not a cent, it's, it's, it's at least needed to sort of get the full picture of like the Shaver mythos or any of these things, because it so often at least looks like, like it could be explained by that. And then often the closer you look, the less that really makes all that much sense. But there is always that kind of like madness, you know, for like a antique term for it, like that, that dimension to it. Um, and, you know, my several strange experiences have always kind of been on that line. Um, do you think, I mean, so is that sort of like something you worry about in terms of 
you know, like maybe Lovecraft was and pulling back from it in that way. Do you? Yeah, I do. It or, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Honestly. I mean, you know, I, um, I had a conversation with my psychiatrist about all this yeah, yeah. <laughs> and said, you know, well, do you think I'm crazy doc? And um, he said, you know, well, I, I don't think you're crazy. And he said, he said to me, I don't think you think you're crazy, you know, but mm. you know, he did insinuate that I might be going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, maybe there, he has something there, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, I, for me, like, you know, my, the mental health concern that's, that's really done me in the worst is a a obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, where before I started medication for it, it was really to the point where it was almost paranoia. So, Mm. uh, and I say that openly just because, you know, I mean, if I'm making any kind of paranormal claim, I feel like I need to give the, the, you know, disclaimer of, you know, um, you know, I've, I've never experienced like uh, the kinds of things that people with schizophrenia necessarily experience, um, mm-hmm. aside from like one time when after a friend died, I, I did hear her call my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was interesting. And that's an experience that even Carl Sagan reported having after mm-hmm. I think his uh, mom died. But he, yeah. you know, apparently that's a, a, a kind of like a common hallucination is what, you know, he kind of came to. Uh, arrive at, at that conclusion. So I think yeah. for me, it's, um, you know, I've had experiences where I have seen something that seemed to me um, uh, that was a paranormal sort of um, vision. And then, you know, and telling myself, okay, that's not real. And then looking over and saying, well, maybe it is real. And um, I think, uh, that line between, okay, what's real and what's not real um, is difficult. And it's always difficult. Like one of the things that I, I really um, struggled with the most during the, you know, before I got on medicine for OCD was just the, it was terrible not being able to trust my own brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah. it's a horrible feeling. And, and so, um, and I don't want to, experience anything like that ever again um but you know i've you know i always take my medication you know i i personally uh, uh belong to uh you know uh, you know I, i'm not a uh you know um you know i i, I take uh, my zoloft you know that's that's yeah. my team team zoloft mm-hmm. yay uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, i'm on a horse dose of it and as long as i take that i'm i'm fine <laughs> yeah, um yeah. You know, but um, but I think that, and I don't do alcohol or drugs anymore. I haven't done that, and mm. you know, uh, it'll be coming up on 18 years here. Mm. So yeah, um, you know, so it, it's it's not that, but I, I think I have the fervent imagination, and so anytime right. you have a fervent imagination, and then there's you know you have par- you know so-called pareidolia, uh, mm. you know there's the you know, and, and then you realize you know to some degree reality is difficult to define that are you know well even if you look at you know this is and this isn't anything original that i'm sharing with you but the idea that um you know okay so our 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 senses are limited in the sense that we can only see certain things you know there's certain waves of light that are beyond our perception uh there are certain waves of sound i suppose that are also beyond our perception 
that, that the fleshy parts in my head can only process so much information. And so there uh, may very well be uh, things out there that um, exist that uh, that are beyond our perception or, mm. uh, you know, just the point that, you know, reality is always in our head. Mm. You know, people can say, well, this is just in your head. Well, you know, the, the perception of, uh, you know, the uh, cell phone in which I'm talking to, into is also in my head, you know, because it's all happening in my brain. Right. right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, they, then we get very deep about like, what is consciousness? What is reality? Uh, and, you know, is, if I experience an altered state of consciousness, is that any less real, you know, um, yeah. what, and what makes it less real? Um, yeah. And those are difficult questions that you know we can entertain, but I try not to entertain them too much because <laughs> if I do, I'm worried that I'm going to like, you know, become some kind of like drop out from society. <laughs> right. yeah. End up like, yeah, no, you know, that's yeah, that's so fascinating and and such an apt description of things. I think, and you know, whether it's real or not, or, or it applies to some like immaterial doctrine of perception occurring in your brain everybody's pooling this into like um, their own pattern recognition. And some people have, you know, different, more hyperactive senses of pattern recognition. Um, and I think that pull of narrative is, is something so fascinating. Um, it reminds me of that story that the yellow King, right. Is the one where in mm-hmm. yellow. Yeah. Yeah. The King in yellow. Yeah. Right. Where the, the story is so powerful that it, it pulls people in. Yeah. I guess there's no real question there. Just a comment on. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I just enjoy talking. I'm a, I'm a big ham, and I'm also a bit, a good listener. So I, you know, I enjoy uh, just hearing your thoughts as well, uh, because that really, I mean, that's what that's what we're here to do. I think if that we're here to do anything is to share with each other and and uh, you know, like here's my ideas, here's your ideas. You know, um, one of the things I've, if I have one kind of rule as far as uh, investigating the paranormal and when I say investigating, I don't mean like going out and ghost hunting or something, but just like, you know, uh, surveying it is, uh, that there should be no hierarchy, nor should there be any, um, any ruler, you know, no, no gurus. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, it's, it's good to realize that no one has a monopoly on accuracy as far as this thing goes. Um, and, uh, and that when you have that approach, then anyone can be questioned, right? Mm. And that's a very uh, healthy way of going about it. And it also um, kind of ties into some wisdom from Taoism. I mean, Taoism, one of the things that Taoism has said is, you know, the way that can be spoken of is not the true way, mm. right? Um, and with the idea that, you know, if you can, if you can sum this all up, and you can, you know, kind of explicitly say, well, the way the world works is, you know, here's the 500 ways that the world works. And I've, I've written it all up in 500 pages. And now, you know, and these are all the answers. You know, what, what Taoism kind of says is like the way that can be spoken of is not the true way. The way that you, you know, life is always more complicated than what can be put into writing or put into a picture or put into an EVP or, you know, whatever you want to say, any kind of documentation. Um, and my cat is starting to come visit me and meow. So you may hear her. Um, and uh, yeah, but so, 
I think that we have to have some humility about it and uh, try mm. to have some fun with it, yeah. but also treat it with the respect it deserves. And, uh, and so, you know, kind of go into it with uh, some, but at the same time, try to be as relaxed as we can with it and and be kind to each other i think that's that's the the main things i think um and not you know of course twitter is probably the worst place for all that <laughs> right <laughs> so, uh, it brings so, us uh, it brings us together to uh some some great thinkers and stuff uh occasionally yeah, but, it, yeah well that, that's yeah. true we, the we format through twitter yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we can't really uh say anything bad about it on that angle but it's just there's so much you know anger and frustration right. and and some of it valid but um yeah. you know but at the same time I, I just you know um i think if if we're trying to seek out things that are uh healthy and and transcendent and at the same time we're driven by anger or fear or resentment um then i i you know, perhaps that opens the door to some very negative things. Mm. And, uh, yeah. and, and so that my approach is always to, uh, to try as much as possible to be kind and, and also to be humble and be responsible. Yeah. 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 And I think <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like our MO here too, is I, I think we're, I don't know, I'm speaking for Ben a little bit too, but I think we're like <laughs> yeah. not as interested in, in parsing out the facts of, of these things. I think it's more about people's stories and um, it's about the people involved. And, and like you mentioned before, you know, when you look at characters involved in phenomena, whether it be Shaver and Palmer or uh, UFO contactees, I think it's really about, you know, investigating people's stories and how they make sense of these strange events that happen to them. And uh, mm. that's kind of where we really, like, I think find a lot of joy in, in this thing, you know, is, is yeah. trying to really get in there and figure out, you know, people's tales. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Woody, Woody Derenberger, for example. Yeah. I mean, there's right. this sure. guy. <laughs> Just some guy who, you know allegedly has this contact and then allegedly has even more contacts. Uh, and, and so it's like, you know, I've always been interested in him and mm. I've always been curious about, you know, if he had any connection with uh, Gray Barker, maybe before all that yeah. happened, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's like, I, I just, you know, but um, it's a family affair too. Uh, his, his daughter right. wrote the other yeah. Lanulos yeah. book, right? Right, I read her book as well. Yeah, and she <laughs> appeared on Hellier. So, yeah. and the, the, what I, part of what I love about about the Mothman uh, legend and and about the Shaver legend too, and and about this whole world of of paranormal phenomena is that you know, like you have this idea in some of the older science fiction that you know, like the you know, okay, in the day day the earth stood still, where does the, the the flying saucer land it land it lands on like the white house lawn mm -hmm. or something yeah. i think mm -hmm. or the national mall or something like that but here like what i love is in the mothman story you have like ufos landing in some kind of like parking lot in west virginia yeah. and and then and then you have them like the the aliens drive like a volkswagen beetle and pick woody derenberger up and then you know, it's like yeah. it, it's not you know it's like these everyday places or even like you know kind of grubby kind of places 
where and these aliens are like they don't look out of the ordinary except for some unusual traits and it it's just it, it's like um you know it, it's it's immersed in the everyday and the work a day in the blue collar world yeah right. and, yeah, and, right. and that's the thing and if you ever listen to uh you know our strange skies it's one, another one of my favorite podcasts mm. uh great podcast and uh the podcast host, host there is always doing you know kind of goes through like old issues of uh of flying saucer magazines from you know the 50s 60s 70s and 80s and talks about these stories and that you know they're just happening in random places you know it's like not any place that is like particularly important or uh yeah. you know it's just you know everyday places and people have these experiences and they're not you know like so-called important people and then they're not happening in so-called important places and as mm -hmm. somebody who lives in you know in the ohio valley and lives you know lives in southern indiana and you know if i'm in a cab in, in southern california and i tell people i'm from indiana and they'll say well you know you know what the potato state no that's idaho you know, <laughs> you know it's like yeah. uh, it, it is kind of rewarding to see these mm -hmm. you know phenomena in these unlikely places yeah that's a good point yeah it's kind of like a it it just it'll pop up anywhere and it, it has no real bearing on what our you know any our society at any given point deems like central or important it kind of has its own agenda i guess <laughs> and yeah it's and mysterious you, yeah and if you listen to hellier you know and part yeah. of what they say is like well you know being like areas that might be like a little bit sketchy that like that, you know mm. outsider status that leads people to you know that's that's kind of liminal territory mm, right and, so, you know, that's that's another idea. And they have like in Hellier, there's that whole experience of, um, you know, people who are on the outside, like the the teacher who is then incarcerated and mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, she has this kind of outsider status. And maybe she, as a result of that, has, you know, the phenomena is more attracted to her. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, I think there's something oddly you know, satisfying about that, that phenomenon is like rooting for the underdog in some way you <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> yeah. or, or maybe not rooting for the underdog, but interested in the underdog. Um, right. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's so fascinating too, because like the, you know, something like the serpent mound is a, a glaring mystery that's just staring at America and it's largely unknown and ignored. Um, right. But nobody knows, you know, really the true history of who built it or even how old it is uh so i don't know it's kind of weird that the phenomena like emanates from a place like that that's that's kind of uh already historically enchanted in that way mm -hmm. huh. um uh, yeah are you um so yeah there's like the that's sort of nexus of like the shaver type uh yet shaver mothman um speaking of which i've been li i've been listening to old coast to coast episodes lately um when i'm sitting i'm also in a bookshop uh not right now but every day and i i just put on old coast to coast and i listened to i think the only interview that art bell ever did with uh john keel and mm. for some reason art bell had not heard of the mothman thing at all 
huh. which was shocking to me. But so he's kind of like asking, and so it's kind of like John Keel explaining this whole situation, like with like a sort of fresh take on it. So it's just like kind of a, uh, I don't remember where I was going with that, but that, that um, oh, I do remember. Well, I mean, yeah, it sounds yeah. like it was uh, just a, he was telling the story from, you know, from a perspective, probably sometime yeah. in the eighties and like looking back and, and get, telling it uh, from beginning to end in a way that, you know, might be good for an, uh, a newcomer to have that. And I think that's the yeah. thing is like, I, I guess, you know, Art Bell was, uh, I'm not sure how many years he was active, but if this was happening like in the eighties or the nineties, I mean, I, I, as you know, I mean, I, I, I'll date myself right here. I'm proud of my age. I was born in 73 and I don't recall hearing about the Mothman until the movie came out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I would sometimes like, uh, I wasn't overly involved, you know, interested in cryptids, but I would like watch in search of when I was a kid. Cause I like spooky mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, and I don't remember seeing anything about Mothman on there. And, you know, if you kind of think about the places where the Mothman would have come up, you know, in search of or unsolved yeah. mysteries or, you know, any of those kinds of shows, it never really came to the folks awareness until the movie came out. Hmm. Right. Uh, now it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now, and now it's everywhere. It, it's, you know, so that's what a, a film adaptation can do. I mean, like the, the copy of the Mothman prophecies that I have with the, uh, you know, with that, that really vivid cover that was like put out by Illuminate press, yeah, uh, yeah. which is, a, a, you know, yeah. yeah, which was a small press, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so a small publishing company and now the rights are owned, I think by uh tour publishing, which is, you yeah. know, involved in a, like a larger publishing, you know, conglomerate. Uh, yeah. so because there's a lot more interest in it now on, and so, yeah, it's, it's just very interesting how these things can really be in obscurity. And I'm sure part of the reason why it, w it was in obscurity is it's such a goddamn weird story. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, who would be in, you know, I'm sure some executive would be like, yeah, who's interested in that? And, <laughs> you know, well, it, it's kind of science fiction, but it's also kind of horror. And, you know, you know, it's hard as like, you know, I'm sure I'm imagining some executive being like, you know, what are people like being carved up? You know, is it like Freddy? <laughs> no, it's not like Freddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, and, and so I'm sure, I mean, getting the financing for that film had to be pretty, pretty interesting and, you know, things have to come together. And then yeah, as a, a story result, I'd love to hear, like, right. yeah, I yeah. wish someone would write a book about like, yeah, the, <laughs> how that movie came together and, yeah, I wonder, because when I think about, I mean, it wasn't always this way, but when I think about like, who would come to mind for most people when you mention cryptozoology, usually it's like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness mm -hmm. Monster and the Chupacabra, but slowly somehow over the last couple of years, I feel like Mothman is like kind of like, like those other ones have become too like almost... Uh, like part of the landscape and now like Mothman is sort of like the more active like yeah. face of that thing right now and it's like I get these patches that like these iron-on patches that this artist makes and I sell them at, at my shop and that, that like all the like kids are always buying the Mothman one and it's <laughs> yeah they, I mean they love it. it it's it's really fascinating because when you think about it like I have like the cute Mothman you know mug yeah. and I have like a, I have a stuffed Mothman on, on my window 
And, you know, when you think about it, like there were people who saw this creature mm -hmm. and were traumatized. You know, yeah. it's uh, one of um, one of the witnesses had to go to a hospital for, you know, several days after, you know, uh, after after seeing this creature because she couldn't sleep and she was yeah. having basically. I think what we would now call symptoms of PTSD. She was mm. afraid it was going to show up again. Yeah. And, and so, you know, this is, it's almost like the same phenomena with the plush Cthulhu uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dolls that you see everywhere where yeah. it's like, you know, you have this creature that is in, originates in lore as, you know, completely menacing and hideous and insanity yeah. uh, inducing. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, now we, it's become cuddly and, and, you know, almost like this Disney thing. <laughs> I can't, you know, Disney's right. Mothman <laughs> coming new, yeah. coming next to Disney plus, you know? That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about that. Did yeah. you see they had the, this poster recently for the new like Pinocchio thing. And the, the tagline is like, you can't kill what never lived. <laughs> and it's like the most cosmic horror tagline for a Pinocchio movie. Ever. Yeah. That's like the old ones or something. Yeah. You can't kill what never yeah. lived. No, that's, that's really funny too, considering uh, the connection obviously that Mothman has with uh, the tragedy of, and the prophetic right. visions of tragedy with like the silver bridge collapse, you know? Now it's, yeah, it's mean, kind of totally. like champion I mean, of cryptozoology. What does that mean then? That like, yeah, this like this sort of icon of impending doom is sort of uh, like exponentially spreading across the culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that could explain a lot. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it. I think. Well, I, I think it. It also just goes to like you know, it's like how many people know that it's you know tied to possibly the demolition of the not demolition but the yeah. the uh the the, the uh, uh failure of the bridge mm -hmm. yeah. uh over the ohio river at point pleasant and uh gallup police um you know it's uh you know it, it it's one of those things where people have a little bit of knowledge about it and that's yeah. all, you know, it's like kind of like I was before I, I went to visit the museum. I just thought, oh, Mothman, <laughs> this kitschy, you know, kind of weird, yeah. you know, thing, you know, Bigfoot's avian kin. Yeah, cool. That's <laughs> awesome. You know, and uh, it'll be fun. It's just so strange and kitschy. And then, you know, you, you start reading the book and, you know, yeah. um, and then you get into this whole other aspect of things where uh it, you know it's like it's so strange and you know and it's dark and it's uh at the same time kind of odd and in case mm. in some cases even a little bit funny yeah. and um and so yeah i mean most people it's like and that's where the the plush cthulhu kind of thing comes in too like mm. most people who own the plush cthulhu's might they might know cthulhu from like the role-playing games or the video games or anything like that mm. they probably have not read the call of cthulhu <laughs> or or you know they haven't read a whole lot of lovecraft they don't know about cosmicism necessarily maybe they do mm. and they're just kind of expressing you know their right their their uh interest in it ironically or you mm. know with a little bit whistling through the graveyard uh yeah. that's what we tend to do with this kind of stuff anyway that's like you know the the halloween decorations of like 
the the child friendly ghost and the child friendly sure. vampire mm-hmm. and you know the the vampires that look like they have like big kid eyes and you know <laughs> um you know like look little, little you know they look like spongebob characters or something yeah uh not like ghouls <laughs> i think we all have this uh tendency in any um cultural endeavor to make the grotesque more accessible uh, and that's part of the liminality of it too. It's like, right. again, I just said liminality, go ahead and drink. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, because it, we, you know, it's, Halloween is like, you know, not, not only is it allegedly the time when the veil between the living and the dead is, is uh, at its thinnest, but it's also at this point where the, uh, you know, you have this, you know, th- this meeting of the innocence of the holiday and the terror of of the holiday and you have Mm. children participating in this uh in a ritual if you want to call it that of trick-or-treating um you know i don't want to give any you know fodder for the fundamentalists (laughs) you know who would say that trick-or-treating is is a ritual but in in a way kind of weird kind of sociological way it might be uh, mm. and, uh, you know, I go to the house, I put out a bag, I'm wearing a costume. I get something in the bag. I say, thank you. Or my parent forces me to say, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so you have this, this weird kind of bridge, you know, uh, between the grotesque and, and, you know, and death on the one hand and youth, uh, it, with the children and with innocence and in the way mm. that these characters are kind of, you know, uh goofily you know illustrated i i whenever i put halloween decorations out i make them very kid friendly because we had small children who come to our house on uh the uh on the holiday trick-or-treat we have many trick-or-treaters about 100 every year and uh and i always you know like i always want it to be inviting to them i don't want and the house across the street does all the gory stuff and everything they do all the like the Freddie and Jason stuff. So we'll, you know, our house is like, you know, Oh, like little cute cartoon Frankenstein uh, (laughs) and everything. It's more accessible, but it is this odd, you know, connection between two extremes that only exists for that one Mm. night. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, you see that encapsulated perfectly in the, in the film house, the Japanese film house. Have you seen? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think that sounds, is that the one with the cat? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen. I have the Blu-ray, and uh, uh, my husband and I watched it, and it's just so strange. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like this uh, this generational meeting point, um, and you have like the the kitschy uh, cuteness uh, meeting, like the gore and the macabre. But it, it's like an allegory for the generational loss of the atomic bomb. And uh, mm. how the the absurdity of that horror couldn't be conveyed uh, through fiction, so it just has to be portrayed with like absolute uh, aesthetic absurdity. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, wow. It, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pretty great one. I don't know if, if you have if listeners. Yeah, watched I, I've that. I've watched it and I enjoyed it, and uh, I need to rewatch it probably. Uh, but that's part of what stories do for us, right? They. Right they uh you know um make sense of well and sometimes not even make sense of things i mean i i don't think about my work as a novelist as in terms of like a therapeutic approach necessarily i just you know i'm i'm trying to just convey what i need to convey Mm -hmm. uh and and everything but but i think in 
when it, when you do that, you know, someone else needs to hear that too. And there's a, a community that comes about, like you know, if nothing else, because people can relate to how you're thinking and feeling about the world. And uh, and so that's the comfort of a fiction, I think, is just the comfort of community that, you know, I know that the world is weird. You know, that the world is weird. When you read my book, you share that. OK, somebody gets it. The world is yeah. weird. Right. <laughs> and um, and, you know, and, and in the, and the same time, they, they experience that in a in an entertaining way uh, that uh, will make them laugh, make them cry you know, and, uh, uh, you know, just give them a, a, a really cool, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, make their neurons tingle. Mm. That's what mm. I, I really try to do. Cause that's what I love. And that's the kind of fiction that I love. I love fiction that makes my neurons tingle. Mm. Um, and, uh, that's what I need. <laughs> and, uh, that's what I try to aspire to. Actually. Yeah. That was another thing. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you who, Who's currently writing sort of horror or horror adjacent fiction that you would uh, recommend? Because we, we don't have fiction writers on much. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a couple that come to mind immediately. Um, Brian Evanson um, mm. is one. He writes, uh, he's written novels. He's also written a number of short story collections. Uh, very weird stuff um, that I enjoy. Um and I would call it kind of horror adjacent. He's, yeah. you know, he's, he's published by, um, you know, kind of, a, uh, you know, a more of a literary press. He's, um, and, and so it's called coffee house press. Oh, yeah. um, but so he's kind of in there with a lot of, you know, literary fiction writers and he's somebody who kind of straddles the line between literary fiction and horror fiction. Mm. Um, you know, and, uh, and uh, so he's one, of course, Thomas Ligotti, Oh, is yeah. another uh, who I really enjoy, Caitlin Kiernan. Um, oh. Some, you know, there her, she wrote a book called The Drowning Girl. Mm. I love uh, that book. And, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, which could definitely uh, all of the things that we've been talking about about um, mental health and about mm. experiences of the unreal and the paranormal. All of that could be, um, you know, ap- apply to The Drowning mm. Girl and. Caitlin is very clear that they are not a uh, horror author. And so, um, you know, I, I respect that. And uh, so take that with the caveat that, right. uh, that you have there. But um, certainly I found it unsettling, uh, an unsettling yeah. read. Hmm. Um, and so the, and the, those are folks who are writing now, if you, yeah. you know, want to look at, folks who've written before of course Shirley Jackson The Haunting of Hill House uh, mm. is I think the finest horror novel that was ever written and um, and I know there was a, a Netflix series or something right. made with that what did title. You, did you see it? I did not see it. I, I, I don't watch a whole lot of, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't watch a whole lot of TV yeah. um, but and I don't have Netflix and and yeah. so um, but uh, but the book uh, you know mm is uh it has one of the best first lines i've ever read in a in a novel you know something to the effect that uh you know um no no human being can live in uh in constant connection with reality it it says it far Mm. more poetically than i just said it uh so i'm not at all quoting from it 
but um that first line is so uh delightful and so and it kind of sets the mood early on about this character's uh connection with the paranormal and this Mm -hmm. character's connection with uh the real and the unreal and and my understanding is that shirley jackson was somebody who discussed uh having seen ghosts Mm -hmm. uh in, in her actual existence so uh you know so i would i would definitely encourage uh her um and it you know i like um there's actually a you know i I like weird european stuff Mm -hmm. uh you know stuff from like poland uh there's one one of my favorite writers is a guy named vitold gombrovich Mm. uh and he wrote a book called cosmos Mm. um which is you know the the current publisher of the english translation calls it a metaphysical thriller uh and <laughs> but it, it it deals with some of the same same things we're talking about although kind of in a, an oblique kind of adjacent way mm-hmm. but that's that's those are the kind of folks that i enjoy amazing awesome. yeah yeah i think uh yeah legati especially is for some reason i feel like kind of comes up in this context even though uh <laughs> i don't know if his philosophy really uh, gels that well with like a sort of paranormal outlook. Um, but yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he is, I mean, he's a brilliant yeah. man and, um, and a brilliant writer when the, the best prose, uh, stylist that the horror field has ever had, mm-hmm. um, and has a real vision of the world. It's a very dark vision. Um, you know, and the idea being that all these things that go through our heads are, you know, are really not real. They're, they're, so it's, it's materialism taken to the nth degree where we think that we think, but we really don't think there are just (laughs) these chemical reactions going on in our heads and we're just puppets being, you know, kind of moved around by these chemical forces uh and uh you know lots of ideas of like well it would be better if we had not been born (laughs) and and this kind of thing i I say laughing after that because that's kind of like that's my sense of humor yes i'm demented (laughs) folks yeah Yeah, Um, no what what can you do but laugh sometimes with that yeah totally and and um you know i i think um you know like the probably the you know i mean there's two sides of legati right the there's legati the the fiction writer and mm-hmm. then there's legati the philosopher or the philosophical commentator mm-hmm. um and um and so i think legati the the fiction writer can be appreciated strictly on you know the on the power of the stories and you can you know kind of take more uh you know um take the the non-fiction the philosophical commentary as you know kind of take it or leave it without necessarily abandoning you know the fiction with it but uh the the, the keystone of of um Ligotti's view, worldview is this idea that existence equals nightmare uh and that's a that's a a uh line from one of his short stories mm-hmm. actually um but i the way i look at the world is different and i've 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 kind of this is another thing that's kind of come in the last few years where 
um, I, at one point I was very much on board with Ligotti's way of looking at the world. And it's not strictly Ligotti's way of looking at the world. Lots of philosophers yeah. have felt this way, you know, Schopenhauer, uh, probably most mm -hmm. prominently, but there, there's, uh, um, a more uh, recent philosopher named David Benatar, who wrote a book called Better Never to Have Been. Mm -hmm. uh, that along the same line, there's, you know, other other philosophers in this kind of tradition. And of course, people are probably aware of the phrase, you know, or the, the word anti-natalism that, sure, that yeah. is, kind of became in vogue uh, through the work of Ligotti and I guess some others too. But uh, I don't believe that existence equals nightmare. I, I believe that existence equals nuance. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, yeah. And that's been my experience um, that, you know, and, and it kind of goes along with Taoism too, the idea that um, the way that can be spoken is not the true way. Uh, mm -hmm. And if I think that I know something, um, you know, then, and this has been the history of my, my thought life. I mean, you know, I will believe something and, but I have this conviction that I have to follow the truth wherever it leads. And so as a result, I end up questioning it and abandoning it. And that's been my entire life. I like, will <laughs> have a belief system. I'll adhere to it and then I'll start to question it and then I'll leave it and then I'll move on to something else. Uh, and my husband says that he never has to have an affair because he's been with like, <laughs> you know, just by being married to me, he's been with like five different women during the course of our marriage <laughs> um, because I'm yeah. always changing. Yeah. The, the quest. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there can relate to that. I mean, I certainly can. It's the, uh, it's almost its own sort of system is that kind of uh, shedding and then regrowing these belief system sort of skeletons or I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's like uh, Robert Anton Wilson's reality tunnels um, mm. kind of moving through. Yeah. These, these conceptions of reality and then, and then shedding them and yeah. moving into the next thing. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, Maybe we could talk about where we could uh, link to some of your work for our listeners. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. Um, well, the you know I'm I'm on Twitter. That's how this whole thing got arranged is via Twitter. So right. on Twitter, I'm at Nicole Cushing. You can stop by my website, NicoleCushing.com, uh, and uh, or check out uh, your bookseller, your local independent bookstore. You know, you can uh, check hey. out and see if they have any of my titles or if they would order one for you. Um, bookshop.org is a good resource for that too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's uh, Carmichael's bookstore in Louisville has signed copies of my work. Um, my publisher is a publisher named Word Horde. They publish mm -hmm. most of my work. Um, W-O-R-D-H-O-R-D-E. Um, and if you uh, Google them, they also have access to uh, copies of my books that have signed um book plates hmm. inserted in the cool. book so awesome. you know the book itself is not signed but they're signed book plates that yeah. are kind of affixed to the inside of them and yeah. uh you know i, I they are um, the publisher there's a wonderful guy named ross lockhart um he's recently had some medical issues uh he was in the hospital for almost a month mm. um and that might uh we, we might see a little bit of a delay in getting uh moth woman out in part based on that but he also is a bookstore owner uh, and huh. he, uh, he owns a place out in Petaluma, California called the Word Horde Empor Emporium, 
of the weird and fantastic. <laughs> mm. And so if you're in Northern California, check that place out. It's going to be reopening in a new location soon. And you can buy my books there or you can buy them online through there. Uh, he's also doing a GoFundMe to help with the relocation expenses, um, mm. which is a whole other story in and of itself. But uh, that's an important cause to keep in mind, too. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So you think coming out in 2022, the new book at some I'm, point? I'm hopeful about, about that. Um, cool. You know, it's uh, these things are a little bit un unpredictable when you're working with the small press. Of um, course, yeah. You know, and and so, but my that's definitely my hope. Um, and uh, I, I'm really, I mean, this is the, the the fun part about writing is you you know you write it and then you want people to see it. And so I'm yeah. I'm really looking forward to getting this in readers' hands and just hearing mm. about what people think of it. Yeah, we're looking yeah, forward totally. to it too, for sure. Yeah, awesome. I'll I'll try to get copies off to you guys. Cool. Amazing. Awesome. Um, do you, uh, as an exit, do you want to name some of your favorite horror movies growing up? Oh gosh, growing <laughs> up. <laughs> or um, you could go general, but yeah, it was in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Night of the Living Dead. Mm. Um, the original 1968 masterpiece. Uh -huh. uh, Creep Show. Mm. Uh, Martin. I love you know a lot of a lot of the stuff from uh george romero i i just mm. love his approach to things again an ohio valley guy from pittsburgh pennsylvania and uh and and uh oh you know someone who i i just adore his take on the world mm. awesome awesome yeah those are those are scary stuff <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> I, yeah i watched that recently it was it's sure. scary yeah <laughs> um Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. This has been... Well, thank you, gentlemen. You have, yeah. you have a wonderful really evening. Great. Yeah, it's you really too. been yeah. wonderful. Thanks so much. Oh, I'm happy to help. Anytime. All right.